Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. I must say it is so very Episcopalian that the line from today's gospel that uh, uh, most people serve the best wine first and save the worst until last when the people are drunk, that that's a laugh line. That is so very Episcopalian. Um, we have a lot to get to this morning, so I will keep my remarks uh, mercifully brief. Um, but there are a few things that I need to say this morning. One is a bunch of thank yous at the risk of sounding like a, some sort of award speech. Um, but I need to say a few thank yous first to our altar guild and to our ushers and to Michael, and to the choir. Um, I know it is, um, it, it's a pain. Uh, I could use other words, but it is, is a pain to do church in this space. Uh, and so for your flexibility and hard work in bringing all of our uh, things in here to help us worship and all of that, many, many thanks. Uh, thanks to uh, Bill Staples and Brett Bayless for being our IT department this morning. I'm very grateful for their help and uh, making everything uh, run this morning, we pray. Um, many thanks to uh, Michael Barker, who is coordinating our potluck lunch uh, today. Um, and a big, big thank you, as always, but uh, Dana Tiffin, is he, is Dana actually in the room? Of course not. Uh, Dana Tiffin, who is our parish administrator. Uh, she uh, was here this morning and helped make all these copies and make ballots. And um, without Dana, we would be lost, quite truly. She is a great servant and uh, a great colleague. And um, I just cannot thank her every day for the hard work that she does and for truly for her ministry in this place. So next time you see Dana, give her, give her a big high five for just being, for being Dana. All right. Um, I want to say two things this morning. Uh, one about the Bible and one about the Chapel of the Cross. Uh, our gospel this morning is one of my favorites uh, in uh, all of Scripture. It is the story of the uh, wedding in Cana of Galilee where Jesus turns water into wine. Um, this season of epiphany that we're in now following Christmas is a season of light. It's a season of revelation. It's a season where we learn more about who this Jesus is. And this morning, Jesus performs his first miracle at a wedding. It is a, it is a reading. It is a, it is a gospel. It's a miracle that teaches us about God's abundance. It is not uh, just a throwaway line that those water jars carried 20 and 30 gallons and there were six of them. That is the kind of abundant, overflowing love that God has for us and God has for us for the creation. And um, we can learn from this gospel, A, that probably Jesus got invited to a lot more weddings after this one, um, but also of the abundance of God and the abundance of God's grace. James Dabbs, a Presbyterian elder, once wrote this about the church of his childhood growing up in rural South Carolina. Religion was a day and a place. Religion was a Sunday and, and the church. Almost everything else, that was life. Religion was curious, quiet, an inconsequential moment in the vital existence of a country boy. It came around every week, but it didn't seem to have much to do with the rest of life, that is, with life. So another scholar, Robert Beardley, in dialogue with this uh, first piece about growing up in South Carolina, wrote this. Sometimes the church has forgotten that our Lord once attended a wedding feast and said yes to gladness and joy. 
Prompted by his earthly mother, Jesus turned water into wine to point us to his heavenly father, a God who loves to hear the laughter of people celebrating people. Sometimes the church has forgotten to live the joy of such revelation. The sign at Cana tells us that Jesus served a God who puts joy into life, who thinks it worth a miracle to keep the party going as we celebrate people. We must always remember that God wants us to celebrate. Here at the Chapel of the Cross, we celebrate our historic legacy, this beautiful uh, chapel that has been handed down to us for, from generations ago. We, but we also celebrate how we reach out into the world and spread God's love through uh, a variety of different ministries. And we celebrate how we love each other from hospitality, uh, making a lunch for a family that's grieving to uh, our, the care that we take with our smallest ones in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. That is our love for each other coming through. And we need to hold on to that celebration. And I'm wondering if we need to especially hold on to the, th that celebration this year. Not that I'm anticipating anything horrible. Uh, this is not a foreboding or uh, anything like that. But we're going to see a little change this year. We're going to see construction. We're going to see shovels turning dirt and lots of people on campus uh, creating a big old mess. Um, hopefully, we are also, we have been blessed these past several years by the Holy Spirit bringing a whole lot of new people into our midst. And that is such a blessing and such a joy. It is such a joy to see uh, longtime members and new members kneeling together at the altar rail of doing ministry together, of doing uh, God's work together. And uh, hopefully as we uh, as we turn dirt, as they say, uh, even the Holy Spirit will bring even more and more people into our midst and that will change who we are uh, and change sometimes is, is a challenge, uh, but it is such a great blessing not only to see how the Holy Spirit is working through us in our community, uh, but the manifestation of that uh, in our new construction. But throughout all that, we must hold on to who we are and what we celebrate. For the chapel is not an old building. The chapel is not a new building. The chapel is our ministry and our love for each other. That is the chapel of the cross. And no matter what happens, and while we are a sacramental people, while we hold on to things and we celebrate that God's grace coming through those things, most importantly, we celebrate that person next to you and that person behind you and that person across the aisle from you and that person who's down in New Orleans for the Saints game and all of those people. We celebrate them because that is the chapel of the cross. And so I want to uh, end my portion of this morning um, and my portion uh, and our celebration. Uh, Mason Brown made uh, what is a delightful uh, year in review. And I think that better, much better than anything I could say shows us what we have to celebrate at the chapel of the cross. Thank you, Mason. That is the Chapel of the Cross. And I hope you love it. I pray you love it as much as I do. We move on and uh, call upon our treasurer to give his report. <laughs> talking about a tough act to follow. Now let's talk about some numbers. Uh, who has heard of Marv Throneberry? 
Raise your hand if you've heard of Marv Thornberry. That's what I thought about eight of us here. <laughs> Marvelous Marv Thornberry was a career 237 hitter. For those of you that don't know baseball, that's not very good. Uh, he was the starting first baseman for the 1962 New York Mets, who won a total of 42 out of 162 games that year. But perhaps Marv is best known for being one of the recurring actors on the uh, original commercials for light beer from Miller. Along the lines of Boo Powell and uh, uh, Deacon Jones and John Madden, who those of you that don't know who Marv Thornberry know, know that John Madden is he, uh, the football video game thing. But anyway, Marv Thornberry was known for the line that he ended every commercial he was in that said, I don't know why they picked me for this commercial. So. <laughs> To paraphrase Marvelous Marv Thronberry, I don't know why they picked me to be your treasurer. I'm a uh, trademark lawyer who took one semester of accounting. But with the, uh, with the good help of Dana Tiffin, who, uh, who uh, Ben has already mentioned, and our uh, official CPA, uh, Pam Anderson, and the good oversight of the vestry, we have struggled along this year, and, uh, uh, and here I am. So let's turn now to the numbers. I have good news to report. Thanks be to God and thanks be to all of you. We had a very good year at Chapel of the Cross. We've got some summaries from some of our reports here. And uh, if anybody is more interested with the background for any of this, please see uh, uh, anyone in the office and they can show you the, uh, the actual documents that these came from. But for 2018, we ended the year with a surplus of $22,449. Uh, in what I don't think has ever happened before, we collected over 100% of the amount that was pledged. I think what happened there is, number one, we did a very good job, those of you who pledged in meeting your pledge, we typically run about 95%. I think that number was higher. I think there were also some of these new members that were mentioned uh, earlier who pledged during the course of the year, and those were never actually added to the uh, to the budget as pledged, and they're reflected in, in non-pledge income. So I think, uh, I mean, I think when they were put into the uh, uh, pledged amounts, but not accounted for in the budget, that that accounted for the uh, surplus there. Uh, expenses were well controlled and were down fifty-one thousand dollars. That should be from two thousand and seventeen, not two thousand and eighteen. You'll recall in two thousand seventeen we we had an overhaul of the chapel, including the floor and the air conditionings and so forth. So I think that. That accounted for a lot of that uh, uh, reduction in expenses. We started the year uh, with uh, on January 1st with $87,000 for cash available for operations. We ended the year to the good cash available for operations of $120,000. So that's good. That doesn't mean that's all we have in our bank account. Uh, as, and we'll look at the ODR funds. The ODR funds is a report that we have that shows funds that are restricted for a certain use. They can either be restricted by your vestry or restricted by you as uh, in making contributions. When Michael stands outside and asks you to give you know, $20 to help pay for uh, school backpacks or something like that, that money is restricted by you and goes into a special account. So we keep those, uh, we keep those uh, figures in a separate fund. So under our ODR funds, the ending balance was $150,000. It was down from $166,000 at uh, the start of, or at the end of 2017. We have a rainy day fund, fund that's just what it says, set aside for a rainy day. Uh, that fund, uh, as of, I went back and looked, December 31st, 2015, that sum was $116,154. We have not dipped into that fund since 2015. We haven't had the need to do that, so that amount is still in a rainy day fund. Uh, for those of you that asked for the final numbers for day in the country, our profits after we took out all of our expenses were $41,473, and your vestry has uh, uh, designated those funds, and that's one of those restricted funds. They've designated those funds uh, to be split between historic preservation and servant ministry. By the way, your servant ministry fund has $32,000. Those are restricted funds. So if you count the funds that are, that are restricted by the vestry and those that are restricted by um, the people that make the contributions, we have a total of $32,000 in uh, servant ministry funds. Historic preservation has a total of 82000 
So you take all of these numbers and, and the cat, none of those go into calculating the cash that we have available for operations. Um, we use the money from, from those restricted funds to satisfy in the budget items for servant ministry and for uh, certain repairs that are repairs to the chapel or, or historic preservation. Uh, I don't know. I think they're I think they're in the same ballpark. Uh, 2019 budget, which was approved this last Wednesday night by the vestry, uh, the budget for 2019 is a record $980,200 in revenues with projected expenses of $176,000. So we project a $4,000 surplus in our current current budget. Uh, that is up from projected revenues of 2018 of $880,000 and uh, actual revenues last year of $884,000. For the first time in a long time, we have a budget item for debt service. We anticipate, and you'll hear more about that in a minute, you'll hear more about uh, uh, the construction, but we anticipate uh, there being some construction going on uh, rather than using funds from the capital campaign to satisfy the interest that we have to pay for the construction loan and for the uh, uh, bridge loan until we get any kind of permanent financing, uh, we will have to pay some interest to the bank. And so we're calculating this year $30,000 toward debt service. What can you do to help lower that number? Number one, if you haven't made a, a pledge to the capital campaign and would like to, See Ben, see Will, see me. We'd love to have you uh, have you do that. For those of you that that have made a pledge and uh, and are uh, paying uh, as I am on an annual basis, once we start turning dirt, we're going to start the meter on what we have to pay. And so, to the extent you can pay your pledge off, uh, you know, earlier rather than later. The earlier you pay it, the more money we will have available to actually reduce. The amount that we're borrowing and so that that uh, debt service will go down and finally stewardship we had an excellent uh, campaign and I and if you're like me I can't uh, have any image in my mind other than Reggie Sims and handcuffs being uh, ashamed with the, with the uh, uh, cowbell by uh, by our priest if you saw that but uh, <laughs> nobody else saw that but uh, uh, an excellent Thanks to all of you for uh, uh, our uh, uh, stewardship campaign this year. Uh, the total amount pledged for this year was $683,633. That was up from $607,000 in 2018. The t uh, interestingly, the total number of pledging units is down to, we have had uh, 136 pledging units uh, down from 138 last year. Uh, the good news average pledge was up $625 and uh, the additional good news is that we have 25 new pledging units. So uh, uh, what can you do to help there? It's not too late. If, uh, obviously you can see from those numbers there are a number of people who pledged last year uh, who have not pledged this year and uh, uh, please do so because it's easier for us to account and, uh, uh, and plan for the, for the upcoming year if we have an actual pledged amount. From you. So those of you that can, please see Ben, please see Will, please see, please see me or anyone in the church office. But uh, otherwise, I, I, I think I'm very happy to report today a really very good year for the chapel in 2018. I want to thank uh, Witt so very much for serving as treasurer. It is a thankless job. Um, especially having to deal uh, with me uh, and um, as my beloved better half can attest, I, I am not a financial whiz. Uh, I, I do my best um, and I think I'm okay, but, um, but many thanks to Witt for all of his work and uh, keeping us uh, budgeting conservatively and prudently and using the gifts that you give us uh, wisely and for the glory of God. Uh, next is our junior warden, uh, John Woodward.
has been here almost every day, uh, changing a light bulb or fixing a leak or, uh, again, dealing with me. Um, and he has responded to every text uh, and request for help, uh, sometimes with a, a bit of snark, uh, but, uh, but always uh, with, a, with a smile. Um, in addition to that, he is one of our excellent ch- uh, co-chairs for the Gravediggers Guild. Uh, you might notice an extra uh, glint in John's eye or spring in his step. Uh, this is his last official duty as junior warden. Um, uh, this past Wednesday, uh, the vestry elected Tony Risher to serve as junior warden. And so please keep him in your prayers uh, as he takes on a big job and uh, fills big shoes. Uh, John, uh, I cannot thank you enough for all that you have done. You are uh, the bomb. So please welcome your junior warden, John Woodward. As the maintenance man, I'd like to say that some things work and some things don't. <laughs> Maybe a little more than that. Uh, let's see, I had a little list, not as big as yours. Um, let's see. Uh, Shirley said, let there be light. And thanks to David Cato, um, we have new lights here that are LED and she can see what she's reading now. I'm still just blaming you. I'm blaming you. <laughs> Luckily, we did not have to spend as much money this year as we did last year on the AC units up there. Um, we do have a new AC unit in the kitchen, and we had to do some work on one of the AC units in the education building. There are six of those down there, and they're as old as my oldest daughter. Um, so that's a little scary when you're thinking about contributing. Um, let's see. Uh, yes, I'd also like to thank Dana. She's not back in here yet, is she? Um, she is like my right hand and my left hand. Um, she does a great job and is always helpful. Um, besides that, we've worked on the roads. You can't tell it today, but we've worked on the roads a bunch of times. The, uh, the road through the cemetery is awesome. Works perfect. Uh, the others... Washed gravel does exactly what it says. It washes away. So I've already talked to Ernie today, and he's going to be coming with his tractor, and we'll drag it all back to where it's supposed to be. And then the next time it rains, it'll go right back where it was. Um, let's see. So we have new lights in here. We also have a couple of new lights outside at nighttime, you might have noticed, uh, facing the chapel in the parking lot. So you, uh, thank Russell Wilcox for uh, finding somebody for me to do that, and uh, he did a did a great job, and now we can all see at nighttime. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Becky uh, Masir rode my butt really hard um, to get some changing tables in the uh, the, the, re- the restrooms back here. Has anybody changed a diaper yet? <laughs> you had, ah, I missed it. I was hoping to see the first one. Um, <laughs> the knitters uh, raised money and uh, saw the need and did a great job and we got them and they're installed so all the moms can have fun with that and dads and dads there's one in the dad's room too so moms there is one in the dad's room don't let him get away with it um but like i said um a lot of things are working we've still got a couple things to work on um and tony (laughs) tony had a senior moment and um i'm so glad that he did so thanks to him, and uh, thanks to everyone who's helped me um, with this uh, along the way. Bill Buner has been my other right-hand man. Um, he's not here in here this morning, is he? He's freezing? It's colder here than there? Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, but Bill's a great help, and he will continue, I, myself and Bill, will continue to help Tony as much as we can. Um, that's really all i got. So there you go. Your junior warden report for the last time. Uh, and now um, I want to bring up uh, Amy Barker, 
Uh, Amy, you may also notice uh, an extra glint in her eye and spring in her step because she, this is her uh, last official act um, as a member of the vestry. Uh, but she uh, continues as the chair of our building committee, um, which sounds like a big job, and it is, but it's actually even a bigger job. She is uh, the liaison between uh, the vestry and our architects and our uh, contractor and um, her meticulous work, um, her thoroughness, her even-keeledness, if that's a word. Um, again, dealing with me. <laughs> um, Amy, you are amazing. And you give so much to this church and your leadership. Without your leadership, I am fairly certain we would not be turning dirt this year. And so we are so incredibly in your debt and grateful for all of your gifts and your talents and your tenacity. So I'm trying not to make you cry. Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you. So uh, without further ado, uh, here is your building committee chair. So first of all, I can't possibly live up to that introduction. So that's going to be my first apology. My second apology is I'm normally so loud that people in the chapel could hear me from here, but I'm getting over being sick, so I'm maybe not as loud as, as normal. And if I collapse into a coughing fit, thanks, John. John. Um, yeah, I, I love that you and Michael are on opposite ends. The heckling can commence from both sides. Uh, my third apology is, in the presentation, there's some things that didn't quite translate from my computer to the presentation. So um, I'll get Ben a copy so that you can look at it online if you want to see some of the pictures a little bit better. So apologies out of the way. I am Amy Barker. Um, as Ben mentioned, a member of the vestry for another 26 minutes or so, and um, the chair of the building committee. And I'm here today to share with you the progress that we've made in the last year with our building project. I actually want to start off um, a little bit um, at, a, at a glance with some details for those of you who may be new to the Chapel family, who maybe don't know the details. So our plan is to add a new worship space that will seat about 385 people. It will be located in the field out behind these buildings, behind the cemetery, um, sort of between the office buildings and the pond. The goal is to continue to worship in our existing chapel, our beloved chapel, for our smaller, more intimate services, but to be able to come together with one larger service on Sundays and events like this so we're not all crammed into the parish hall and for special events in a larger space. Um, our hope is to also have a smaller building that will be connected to the worship space by a covered walkway that will include restrooms and a sacristy and a children's chapel. So how did we get here? And we can go on to the next slide. Um, those are our goals that I just talked about. So how did we get here? Um, about three years ago, the vestry approved the plan, and we made the decision to move forward. Two years ago, we had finished the capital campaign, and we had about $3.4 million in pledges. And at that point in time, the vestry approved a scope, a budget, and a timeline. Um, at this time last year during our annual meeting, I reported that we had collected just over a million dollars and we were well on track to meet or maybe exceed that pledged amount. And today, you can't see it down there because of my, my font and the screen here, um, but we've actually collected just over one and a half million dollars against our capital campaign pledges. So again, we are on track to meet that target. Um, if you want to flip to the next slide, and here's where my graphics like really went off the rails, so I apologize. There's a lovely calendar behind those bubbles that you'll be able to see online. Um, but kind of our timeline, last summer we received bids on the project. And unfortunately, I think many of you may have seen the communication, but the bids significantly were, were over our budget. And I know, you know there's, there's a whole slew of reasons why. Um, with input from the building committee, the vestry made the decision last summer to reject those bids that we had received and to meet with multiple contractors to, feel, to talk with them to see if any of them felt that the project was indeed attainable with some small modifications um, through value engineering. 
And you may have heard that word tossed around a little bit, but simply stated, value engineering is the review of the design and the materials with the intent to reduce the budget without significantly affecting the scope and the functionality of the project. So um, that kind of large arrow down there, or large circle you see down there in the value engineering, um, we've made up, the building committee established a smaller subcommittee that was made up of Scott Carter, Russ Markle, Ben, Robert Pooley, and myself, and we met with several contractors. And following those interviews, the subcommittee made the recommendation to the vestry to enter into that value engineering phase with probity construction under the direction of Mike Harrell, uh, formerly of Harrell Construction. So during those last several months of 2018, um, our architects at Barlow Eddie Jenkins, along with the contractors at Probity Construction, were hard at work reviewing the design and the materials to meet those budget requirements. So meanwhile, the Finance Committee, as Whit alluded to, has been reviewing the plans and the budget, <clears throat> and they've recommended a total project budget not to exceed $4.5 million. This was reviewed in great detail with the vestry and approved. And so as of November, we had reached a balanced budget with that $4.5 million mark with the following changes that were recommended by Probity. And again, there's really cool animation on this next slide, but um, I'll just sort of touch on it. So this is an image from the original plans, the, the old image. And so the first thing, and probably the biggest, was a structural redesign. And this was the largest impact to the cost of the project. So I wish I had a little a Ben's pointy stick that he used during um, stewardship. Um, but if you see the columns that are here, those as well as the big wooden beams in the ceiling, those were all load-bearing um, and, and supported the structure of the chapel itself. Um, and so we made the decision to insert a steel structure within the walls that will support the structure itself. We removed the columns entirely, um, and then the wooden ceiling became decorative, so it was no longer load-bearing. And so that brought the cost down significantly. Also, by removing those columns, they were, they were pretty big columns. I don't know if you can tell from the picture, but we were able to shorten the building by 12 feet without really losing much capacity in seating. Um, so that was really probably the biggest change that we made. Um, we removed the dormers, which are visible in this picture here. Um, and we also changed the windows from Hope windows <clears throat> that were only available from a single supplier at a pretty premium cost to wood-clad windows, which will still be comparable with the style here on campus, but not nearly as expensive. We were able to save nearly $50,000 on doors alone by simply reducing the thickness of the doors while we kept the same style and we removed some of the outdoor path lighting that, were in, that was in the original plans. And that can always be added at a later point in time. And then finally, and you can flip to the next page on this, and this is another one where the graphics really can't be seen on the big screen, um, but we simplified the children's chapel. Uh, both the vestry and the building committee feel strongly that the functionality of having that building as a part of the plans is really important to what we do here at the chapel but we were able to simplify the design in several ways to keep that functionality <clears throat> while, while bringing the cost down. So once we approved those changes, the plans had to be redrawn, restamped by the various engineers, and then um, following the revision of the plans, they had to be reapproved first by the Mansdale Livingston Heritage Preservation District, then by the Madison County Board of Supervisors, and then by Madison County themselves. And so all that happened throughout the months of November, December, with the last approval coming January 7th. So I know it's been kind of quiet for a few months, but all this has been happening behind the scenes. Um, so since that point in time, Probity's been getting updated bids for the plans, and I'd really hope to be able to have like some big, you know, something I could reveal at today's meeting. Um, but they plan to have it within a couple of weeks for us. So... Um, they plan to, they're, they're working on an updated value engineering work, workbook, an updated cost estimate with new bids from all the suppliers, and then a schedule for us within the next few weeks. Um, following that, we'll be reviewing that with the building committee, and then they'll make the recommendation to the vestry on our next steps. But our goal is to sign a contract, and as either Ben or Whit alluded to, we could break ground as early as February, but anywhere in that February to April time frame, 
we could turn dirt, which seems to be the phrase of the day. Thank you, Ben. So, you know, I know that it may seem like progress is slow, but, you know, many of you have come around and have, have um, been here much longer than I have been. And this work that's happening right now is really the culmination of several decades of work and planning and preparation that's gone into this. Um, it's not an easy process. This is definitely not a fast process. But I hope that you can see that the vestry is committed to seeing this through to completion. So what's next? And, and I'm going to echo a little bit of what Whit said in his report. Um, you know, there's actually several ways that you can be involved. Um, for those of you who may not be as familiar with the plans, you know, get familiar with them. I would be happy to sit down with anybody and walk through the plans in far more detail than what you get today. So just reach out and, and, and be informed. Um, contribute. You know, every, every day and every year, I'm astounded, absolutely astounded by the generosity of the chapel. So some people have already <laughs> finished their pledges. And so I encourage you to continue to give because our budget, even, even with the increased budget, it's aggressive to get all of the functionality that, that we want. And so any money that you give will absolutely be put to good use. Um, for those of you who haven't pledged yet, as, as Quit mentioned, there's certainly still time to do that. Um, and then there's a third way that maybe you haven't heard about. And um, I'd like to encourage you to, con to, to consider giving specifically towards our organ. Because that $4.5 million budget that I talked about does not include an organ. And that, of course, is an important part of our worship experience. So um, we've actually got, in addition to the money that I talked about earlier, we have an additional $110,000 in donations and pledges towards a new organ already. But we need just over $500,000. So that's, we've got about 20% of it. Um, Michael Beatty's been in discussions with the NOAC organ builder, and they're working together in coordination with the architects on a design for the chapel. And clearly, the more people who are able to contribute towards that organ, the quicker we can get started with that. And he's going to share a little bit more about the design process and the timeline. So I'm going to step away for a moment and hand it over to Michael. Good morning. I feel a little strange standing up here because my role here is to serve the liturgy. But I'm excited about what you are about to do. Um, it's an honor to work with you and for you, and especially to work with your fantastic choir. I was really heartened to hear during the slideshow, Will Todd's Choral Anthem, My Lord Has Come, which your choir introduced to you about seven years ago, and has been a favor of ours to sing for some time. So as we move forward, obviously we need an organ. You can't wait to just buy the sofa and figure out where to put it in the living room. Okay? You have to think about it organically as you design the room. And so that's why we've been thinking about it. And what I'm about to tell you has gone through the organ committee and the building committee and the vestry. So we're looking at an instrument to be built by the NOAC Organ Company out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, a very, very fine builder. And They've gone so far as to give us some preliminary design and proposal. Let me pause just a little bit to say two things. First of all, if you think about a grand piano, you have strings that are horizontal, and hammers hit those strings in order to make the sound. If you didn't have the soundboard underneath or the walls around, it would not sound the same, and it would not be as pretty and not as focused. So take an organ, which is a box of whistles that stand on their end instead of flat like the strings, a separate whistle for each sound and each note of each sound. They also have to be in a box in order to be focused so it's not just a, a thing of beauty. So the weight and the space and, and how it works with the beautiful rose window we're going to have are all things that we have to think about now. So this instrument, by determination of the organ committee and the building committee and the Vestry would be in the back, in the rear gallery, the balcony. So as you face the front, imagine yourself sitting in the chapel and facing the beautiful three lancet windows. You'll see that same view in the new building. You'll be facing the front and you'll see the three lancet windows. Behind you in a balcony will be the organ and the choir. We did that because that's the best place given our room design to place the instrument. And as it happens, 
that is the ideal place for music to happen in a worship space because it allows the instrument not to have to be pushed into the room. It's, it's the best place for supporting your singing and for supporting worship. Doesn't mean that we wouldn't sing from the front. We would sing from the front frequently, unaccompanied, and also with piano or other instruments. And I'm excited to already tell you that we have, thanks to Sloan McKellar, uh, a wonderful donation of her piano to be used in the, in the new room. It'll be up in the chancel once we get built. So thank you, Sloan, for that. So I get what you're facing. I get raising money, I get debt service, I get all of that. My day job is running a $1.7 million not-for-profit. But really, we're not that far away from our goal. We have 20% of the money, and we can make this happen. I will close by saying, organs are one-of-a-kind beasts. You don't go to the store and pick one off the shelf. They are built custom every single time. And because they are so big, they are built one at a time by the builder. The builder actually makes every square inch of it, the pipes, the wood, everything, and assembles it completely in their shop, makes sure it's right, disassembles it, brings it to the church, and reassembles it there and does the final voicing there. So they only work on one at a time. If we were to let a contract now, we would have the instrument pretty much around the time we'd be moving into the new building. I don't recommend doing that unless you know where the money's coming from. So the longer it takes us to figure out how we will fund the instrument, then the longer gap we'll have. And sometimes that's just the way life works, but I think it's important for us to remember that the longer we go without an instrument, the harder it will be for us to feel good about our worship and to keep and to attract and retain uh, new members because it won't be either what we're used to or what we can do or, or right for what we need. So finally, this is the rear gallery, the balcony. The window isn't drawn, but you can see the curves on the instrument embracing the window. Encroach on the window just a little bit, just like your drapes do, and then you, you see the scales that the choir would be at an angle on either side, and the audience would sit here. And then it has this case designed, all hand-carved wood, would, is designed to look very much like the new room will look, to, to fit in as a, as a part of the furniture and to be the same color and stain of wood. So I'm, I'm very excited about what we can do together and hoping that we will be able to let a contract soon so that we don't have a huge gap between when we move in and, and when we have the right kind of instrument for the room. And I would like to take just a, a minute to thank Michael as well as those who are on the organ subcommittee. I know we've got committees and subcommittees and subcommittees of subcommittees. Um, but, you know, even Michael's description, I think, doesn't really um, give the level of detail of the work that he's put into this, the research. We all know we don't want me picking out an organ. Um, that would just be a disaster. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's truly a, a work of art, a, a work of worship, and also a very technical process to coordinate between the architects and the acousticians and the organ consultant and the committee from here at the chapel to make sure that it suits our needs. So again, thank you, Michael, for all of the work behind the scenes that you put in. So I'll be available for any questions that you have after today's meeting. I'll probably get out of the way of the tables moving around, but, but please grab me if you have any questions at all. And then in the meantime, I'd like to close with um, all of us saying the, the prayer that was developed during the capital campaign, because as always, I think that this, this lifting this project and this place up in prayer is important more than ever before. So please join me in saying our, our capital campaign prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for the many blessings of this life, especially for the Chapel of the Cross, those who came before us, and those who will follow. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, inspire our dreams, and give us courage to answer your call to us. 
Lord Jesus, give us the spirit of wisdom, generosity, and perseverance as we step out in faith. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for being Amy. Um, also, a big I want to echo Amy's thanks to Michael, um, who has, you know, a full-time job and then, uh, you know, uh, a job working with us, uh, and then has been an invaluable source of wisdom uh, and resources in terms of our organ efforts. So, thank you, Michael, uh, for all you do. Bravo, Maestro. Uh, I know this is a lot. I, I know a lot of people are talking at you. Um, you know, at this point, I would probably be, you know, trying to find my way towards the exit. Um, but so I, I, I'm very grateful for your perseverance. Um, but we do have one more report, uh, one more very important report. You know, the Chapel of the Cross is not all about uh, worship space uh, or or money, uh, but it is about reaching out as Christ's hands in the world. And so I wanted to invite uh, Michael Barker uh to come up. He is the chair of our Servant Ministry Committee, um, as well as uh, coordinating our lunch today. Um, so very grateful for his wearing of many hats today. Uh, and to talk about how we have, uh, uh, have we have, how we have done good works out in the community for the past year. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> to keep it consistent, I have a 14-minute video. <laughs> a 37-page PowerPoint that we'll be going through. I don't. I have the, the, the bulletin they gave me when I walked in, and the rest I'm just going to kind of go from here. First, I'd like to apologize to the family that's never been to the chapel before that walked in on our annual meeting. Um, it's not always this way. Normally, we're up in the church. There's not this many at one time. It's not quite as intimidating. The good news is we have chicken for lunch when we're done. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the servant ministry. I've had comments over the last probably 12 to 18 months, that they didn't think we did much outreach. They didn't think that the outreach that we did was that important, and they didn't think that we were really contributing in, in, in our community. And I want to tell you that in the last 10 years that I've been involved with the servant ministry, we've spent over $350,000 in this community. We have spent some money on the Honduras Medical Mission. We've spent some money uh, on a couple of hurricane relief funds as things have happened around the United States. But over 80% of that 300 and some odd thousand dollars has been spent in Madison County and with Stewpot. Stewpot Jackson has a special place in our heart. Always has, always will. We feed them four times a year. We give them money for turkeys at the end of the year. And we, we help them out of Jackson. There's another couple of small things that we do inside Jackson. Wingard House that Marcy brought to us 10 years ago that we still give them money for Christmas presents for families every year. We have fed 20,000 people around the world with two events that we've done in the last three years. Both of those rise against hunger, where you come in and you fill the bags, you seal the bags, somebody rings the gong, and we've done another 1,000 meals. The first time we did that, we had 75 people from the chapel come in and help us. The second time we did it, we had about 55 people, and we tried to do it this year, but we couldn't align a date that we could do it, that they could do it. But in 2019, we're going to do it again. The last thing I want to talk about um, is, is our daily bread and what we did for them just this year. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, three years ago, we donated 100 boxes with no turkeys to our daily bread, and we thought, good for us. We've done great. And then this year, we were going to do 200 boxes and 200 turkeys. We had help from Broadmoor Baptist Church. We had help from other people in the community. We had help from uh, a couple of one, one of the car dealerships and one of the software companies and others to get us to 200 boxes and 200 turkeys, and we thought we were great. And I texted the director and I said, "We got 200 boxes and 200 turkeys." She goes, "Yeah, we called the list down to 200." I said, "What?" She said, "Well, we had 684 families in Canton apply for a Christmas box because they didn't have the money to buy a box for their or, or food for their family for Christmas. 684." So I went to Will and I said, well, we got some work to do. And Shirley said to Will, he can't feed them all. And I said, well, Will, you go back and tell Shirley we can try. <laughs> and so I told Will we should go for 300 boxes. And when we got to 300 boxes, Will goes, well, we're done. I said, no, we're not. He goes, well, how many boxes do you want? I said, 400 boxes. So we get to 400 boxes. He goes, how many boxes do you want? I said, 500 boxes. We have 500 boxes and we're walking right outside here one afternoon after going to lunch and he goes, Michael, what do you want? 
I said, well, I want all the boxes. I said, you give me 10,000 boxes, I'll find 10,000 hungry people that need to eat at Christmas time. So I want you to know that the chapel, the, the day that creates this is day in the country. It's what we center our service for every member of the church has to get together. Shirley makes bottled hell every year. The herons do the peanuts and the corn every year. Amy and I have been stuck in the silent auction booth for nine years. Anybody that would like to take that over, please see Amy after the service. But, you know, that's the day that creates what we're able to go and do in the community. We need you, not just your talents and treasures, but your time to help us with those things. We feed stew pot four times a year. We do Christmas presents for the angel tree kids. We did 43 angel tree kids this year, and we did the party right here for them for the first time in 13 years. And it was magical to see those kids who don't have their parents for Christmas be able to come in here and experience their Christmas with us. It was awesome. During the spring or during the summer, we do Christmas or school supplies for them too. 43 kids, sometimes it's 55 kids. One year it was 62 kids that weren't with their families that don't get school supplies. And I got to tell you, when you're with a foster family, and I know this because I was a foster kid, my mom and dad, my foster parents might not have had the extra 75 or $85 to get me what was on that list I was supposed to have. They would give me pens and paper and say, good luck. We go to each school's website and we give those kids exactly what they need to not be different when they walk into school on that first day. So if you don't think we do a lot, come see me. I have things you can do. You want to work in a garden? Madcap has a garden that runs 11 months out of the year. We just planted 240 heads of cabbage that is going to feed about 500 families in February a few months back. We're going to go for not only 700 boxes next year, but we're going to work with the community. Will and I talked this week. We're going to get together next week, other churches and other companies to see how many of these food boxes can we actually do to try to feed the people that need food at Christmas time. We fed 4,000 people this year. Our little church with 300 and some odd people fed 4,000 people at Christmas this year. And you know what? Next year, I think we can do better. So with that, I'm done. The only thing standing between me and the rest of you getting to the chicken is, I think, communion, correct? <laughs> I will tell you, I'm the coordinator today, so in about 10 minutes, you will see people move towards the doors. That's why we have John stationed here. We have Pete in the back. They're going to lock them because as soon as this is done, we have to reconfigure this lovely space from church and annual meeting to eating, and I expect everyone to help. So with that, I will turn it back over to Ben. All right, so we are done with all of the reports. Uh, I want to thank uh, all of those who gave reports. Um, it is uh, such uh, a point of pride for me to uh, brag about all that you all do uh, as uh, a parish church. And um, it has been a great year, and we look forward to another wonderful year this year. And a reminder that... We are still in worship, and so this concludes the annual reports, and now let us pray.